You're listening to Episode 2 of the Fan Expo Podcast, the only officially authorized podcast of the Nexpo YouTube channel. Episode 2 covers the following five topics. Number 1. The Augmented Reality Game, Night Terrors. Number 2. The YouTube channel, Exploring Abandoned Mines and Unusual Places, and the hoax video, Creepy Sounds Captured in an Abandoned Mine, while reviewing the Through Night TN12 Flashlight. Number 3. The Horror Drought of 2018. Number 4. The YouTube channel, Factors of Zero. And number 5. The Silent Hill Wiki Circumcision Incident. Links are in the description to various sources where applicable. We encourage you to review the material before listening for the best possible listening experience. Please enjoy. Digital greetings and a warm analog welcome to you. This is the Fan Expo Podcast. I am the Critical Android, and joining me for this panel discussion for things creepy and all things Fan Expo, I have Mr. Jedi Gucci, uh, I have Mr. Jedi Jacobus. I was going to say, is that my new rap name, Jedi Gucci? <laughs> Jedi Gucci! Jedi Gucci. No, it's good to be here. Good to be here. Uh, glad to have you here. We also have returning for the second time as well, Mr. Ross! Hello, great to be back. Great to have you back. How are you doing, Ross? Good, how are you? Doing pretty well, especially considering that we did the pilot episode not too long ago, and it was very well received by members of the community. We also got approval from the host of Nexpo, Ryan, to continue on and bring some more topics of conversation to the mass audience, and we're happy to do that as we have another five topics lined up for discussion. And the first one here, since we're going to dive right into it all with the amount of content that we have, this one was brought up by Ross, and it revolves around an alternate reality type game called Night Terrors. Ross, you're the one who brought this up for discussion as we were doing uh, some of the planning meetings beforehand, and what drew you to this game? Why did you want to bring it into discussion? Well... I can't remember how I found this game exactly, but at the time I was very interested in AR, which is augmented reality, similar to uh, Pokemon Go. At that time it was getting kind of bigger, and I was very, very interested in it. And I stumbled upon Night Terrors, which was this game on Kickstarter, supposedly trying to make your house a living nightmare. It gave a lot of science, I don't know if that science is all correct but it, it would make a map of your house with your phone's uh sensors and you would be chased you'd have all of your lights off and i just thought it was a very interesting experience to have kind of like this for lack of better term home haunt inside of your actual home that is very interesting i was following it for years the uh trailers and teasers that they put out was very promising there was a great use of practical effects. I was trying to uh, look for trailers recently, but I found out that they switched companies after years of working on it, and now kind of a shell of what it used to be. I did see two trailers, one from before it got renamed, because now it's, if I'm not mistaken, it's renamed Night Terror's Bloody Mary. Correct. And I found a trailer from before it was called that. I found a trailer from after the rename. And I will say, from from what I saw from my perspective on it, there was a tremendous drop in quality from that first trailer to the second one. And uh, the, the, the first one particularly 
relied on some very creepy imagery that just seemed to evoke more of a psychological fear, where the second one had a lot of, like, bad monsters. It just seemed so, like, stock footage almost of them. Like, oh, here's a creepy thing that's on the camera. It's like a, it's like a monster. Ooh, scary. Yeah, in the new trailer, there's, uh, or in the new game, too, because I'm pretty sure it's released. I have yet to try it as I don't have an iOS phone. In the new trailer, there's an overuse of jump scares, and it's definitely overselling it. You've got this lady in this huge, like, open area, which isn't what the game initially was supposed to be for. It was supposed to make you scared of your own home. And like you said, the original monsters definitely invoked a more psychological fear other than, oh no, I'm going to get startled. In the original trailer, you've got these Silent Hill-esque monsters. Genuinely kind of frightening, and that's a big thing that made me very excited for Night Terrors, and then they just completely overhauled it. I don't know if it was bought out, the company, but you can find, like, almost nothing other than different articles talking about the original game. They've deleted all of the trailers for the original game and replaced them with Bloody Mary, which is kind of an outdated urban legend, it seems. Like, who talks about Bloody Mary anymore? Well, I mean, unless someone's going out for drinks, there's always that. Yeah. But but you are right. Uh, It is an overused kind of uh, ghost paranormal haunting trope. But Jedi, what were your thoughts on trying to dig up some information about this and looking at the trailers? I know Ross provided a couple of them on our on our Discord server. Well, he's right. It's it's almost like the history has been purged. You know, I'm wondering if it was bought out by like Stalin Co. <laughs> and I think it's interesting that you, you both brought up that it's an outdated, campy story that like, who's into that? You know, the answer is teenage girls still having their first slumber party. That's honestly, I... My best theory is that when they got a hold of the property and they tried to rebrand it, they did it not to appeal to the horror crowd, but to appeal to the teenage kids on their smartphone looking for apps, looking for stuff to do, looking for fun things, looking for how to spend a slumber party or something of that nature. And that's really what it felt like was they took it away from legitimate horror fans and people who were interested in like, like you said, silent Hill type creatures, psychological horror. Cause I, re- I remember there was like the clip of the night vision camera going on and off. And then next thing you know, it's on again and there's, new things to see. Now it's a lady dressed like a ghost bride jumping out at you every 15 seconds. And to me, that's designed to get kids to buy it, to get kids to click on it. They're the ones that are going to do it. And there's more of them and there's going to be more of them. Horror fans are just not the market. I feel like you see it across the board that horror fans are being marginalized and pushed aside in order to mass produce and sell watered down horror products to, you know, whoever will buy them, but not appreciate. If I'm not mistaken, too, in the original trailer, there's a moment where there seems to be what was commonly called an interface screw, where the the program makes it look like it's trying to access somebody's Facebook Messenger and text somebody. And I thought, if, if that's exactly what the program was meant to do, and mess with somebody in that way, that was a wonderful addition to the augmented reality 
scope of things, where normally it's just a an image that's generated based off of the location, a code that's picked up, something that generates uh, an image on, on your phone. Taking that to another level by messing around with the phone itself, that adds to the psychological horror of it. And I didn't see any of that in the second trailer. Did you, Ross? No, I didn't. And I might I add that... Jedi said it's not appealing to horror fans. Horror fans are being pushed aside. It's funny that you say that because paranormal activity, what do you guys think of it? I thought it was a interesting concept for a film that is it's limited by the format that it's trying to film itself in. Just like how same thing happened with Blair Witch. There's some liberties that you have to take in order to make these things work. Like you have to suspend your disbelief a bit more. The idea that somebody was setting up all these cameras and constantly checking, I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll, I'll buy into this. Don't know why they're still sticking around as much as they are, but okay, whatever, I'll, I'll still buy into the premise. Yes, fairly mediocre, right? I'd put it as mediocre. I mean, I know some people got legitimately scared by it, and I like some of the subtle elements to seeing things unfold on cam. I want to give it credit for doing that and not relying necessarily on the jump scare but I do think that still the premise of it and the overall payoff was was mediocre. For me, I think, if you'll bear with me, I'm going to try to work my way through a metaphor I just thought up. <laughs> okay, here we go. Think of the person who is an actual hot sauce aficionado, the person who could tell you the different types of peppers that are grown and how they're cultivated and actually tries to cook and work with the best ones. That would be, in this situation, the horror fan. Then you have the guy who goes to Tijuana Flats, gets the you know, hottest sauce they have to offer, takes it, douses his taco in it, and tries to have bragging rights and say, yeah, I love hot sauce. That's what it seems like they're doing with the horror genre is they're taking the people who want to just say that they saw the quote-unquote scariest movie, not the people who appreciate it. And to me, I thought Paranormal Activity was absolutely the smack my ass and call me Sally of horror movies. <laughs> it, it's funny that you say that because Night Terrors, the new uh, revamp, is actually directed by the director of Paranormal Activity, and I feel like it explains a bit. I do want to defend a decision like that in a way. We all know that money is hard to come by, and if I'm not mistaken, from the Indiegogo campaign that I think I found, they didn't meet the funding goal for Night Terrors as it was. At least at that moment in time, if they pulled the campaign, if they tried it somewhere else, wasn't meeting the funding goal. And we've seen it before where a Kickstarter or an indie campaign, whatever, that's relying on funds from people suddenly gets a major uh, boon handed to them from a corporation or an individual backer or somebody who is now pretty much a financial investor into this. It's like all of a sudden they made a deal on Shark Tank and now this person has some sort of creative say over it in exchange for the fact that they put this money into it. And that has to happen sometimes in order for creations to be made. If you're lucky, somebody will just take the hands off and say, I trust you to run with it and go with it, do your thing. But other times, the person who's investing, investing into it says, you wouldn't have this project without me. I have ideas that I want to incorporate into it. That's the price that you're going to pay for, for me being involved. And if that gets a product made, you know, fantastic. But the the issue is... Is the product we receive with that involvement better than not having anything at all? And I think that's where the problem with Night Terrors falls, is that we might not have had a version at all if you didn't have the paranormal activity involvement. But is that a, a good thing or a bad thing compared to what we got? Ross, your thoughts? Actually, we got a demo 
late 2016, early 2017? Yes, they did have a demo released, and outlets like Polygon and others reviewed it. Yeah, and I believe that was, like, based on the original idea, if I recall correctly. I don't know, that could have happened, because the demo was very short for years of work. I mean, I understand that what they were trying to do had never been done before. Yeah, it's a shame. Either way, though, it it feels like a slap in the face uh, for waiting so long. And then I can't even, like, have other people really agree with me, other fans of the game, because, for one, I can't find anybody who disagrees with this change at all. I'm pretty sure they actually deleted my comment on their YouTube video where I was kind of uh, ranting about how it was uh changed that was very respectful mind you i i feel like that's terrible if there are more people trying to spark discussion about this and they aren't getting word in because the company is silencing them it could be the case or it could just be nobody else really cares about it or nobody else really cared about it oh and i'm pretty sure there was a second indiegogo campaign that did reach the goal i could be wrong though Jedi, what are your thoughts on selling out to the corporate overlords? Like, like you said, sometimes it's it's a necessity. I'm trying to find it. There was a quote I read the other day, um, allegedly from Steve Jobs. I, I wasn't able to, to verify it or anything like that. But to, to butcher the quote for you, it's essentially saying that when you put the innovators in charge, that's when you get the good groundbreaking products. That's when you get the products that people want. When you put in the engineer or the guy who got into it to make a dream product, the guy who got into it to make the thing the marketplace was missing, the thing he felt like he was missing as a consumer and as a fan. But when a company relies on the marketing people, you get mediocrity because they're only looking at the bottom line. And I think that absolutely applies to this where it comes down to the old problem of are we running a business or are we producing art? And the marketing guy doesn't care about art. He cares about business and that's it. So if you do get an investor in there who is saying, hey, I've got ideas for the project and you need to use them, then odds are he's not a part of the original vision. Odds are he's looking at this on how to make the most possible money, not how to deliver the best possible work. You put lawyers in charge of a business and they all of a sudden start trying to cut costs and put aside human value, things like that. It happens. It's just the nature of the beast when it comes down to the nature of creativity versus cost. And it's upsetting and frustrating when it happens. Again, it comes down to that issue of, do you want some product or no product? And I, it's it's hard to say sometimes which is, uh, which is better and which is worse. Night Terrors Bloody Mary is the product that we received, and it might be a shell of what it was supposed to be. That's That's what's there. And we do recommend that people still try it out, see what they think, and provide comments and feedback, not only to the developers, whether they want to listen to it or, or not, and provide the comments here to see what you uh, to let us know what you thought of it. And if you were familiar with the original demo and the original product, please let us know, because we'd love to hear your thoughts on that, too. Gentlemen, closing thoughts on this matter before we move on to the next topic. Ross? It's a shame to see what happened to it, but, I mean, the game could be great. What? came of it could be great it's been getting great reviews i have yet to check it out this is what i see on the surface level i see a shell of what it once was but like you said it could have just been an idea pull back a little bit you know because i was hitting the criticisms pretty hard the one thing i will say is augmented reality up to this point has been a very gimmicky it's kind of like the 3d of video gaming 
and I know there's 3D in video gaming. What I mean by that is, remember when 3D movies first came out, there was always a scene where somebody threw a pie and it went towards the audience. There was always a scene where the shark swam towards you. Yeah. You know, very, very gimmicky. And at the very least, the one thing you can say about this is that it is trying to take the gimmick and use it as a medium rather than just try to sell you the gimmick with a fresh paint job. Right. They are trying to offer you content. They are trying to offer you a story. They are trying to offer you something. Perhaps I'm just salty because I really wanted to see something cool and psychological. But you know what? They changed the game. I'm just not a part of the demographic. But I really hope the demographic that they're trying to key into does like it and does enjoy it and finds something to say they love. Well, we hope that people enjoy it because even though, like we said, we may criticize things. But just because we levy criticism at something is not us trying to say you shouldn't like this. That is an irresponsible and terrible thing for people to say. You should be able to like whatever you want to and just acknowledge for what it does well and what it doesn't do well. But with that being said, we'll move on to another topic here that is tied back in directly to some Nexpo content. And I don't even know if some people will remember it because the video that it's based on is gone. That revolves around... Ryan's coverage of a video called Creepy Sounds Captured in an Abandoned Mine while reviewing the Through Night TN12 Flashlight. This is a video that's featured on a channel called Exploring Abandoned Mines in Unusual Places. It has about 263,000 subscribers. And this video in particular was uploaded on December 1st, 2016. Now, before I go any farther, did any of you watched the original video that Nexpo had put up about this channel? Yes. Yes, I did. I did not see it when it was on YouTube. I had to go to the Facebook page to ah. watch it, though. What about you, Ross? I actually did watch it when it came out, and I actually didn't know it was taken down either until recently. Okay. So we're all on the same page with what happened here. And for those of you who don't know, I'll briefly recap. Essentially... Ryan made the video originally to talk about how unusual it was that a channel that seems to be dedicated more to actual cave exploration would feature a video that involves the paranormal. He couldn't come up with an explanation, necessarily, for why this took place. And then, you know, obviously when something like that happens, it seems very out of character. It kind of lends a bit more of, well, was this a genuine occurrence? Because it doesn't seem like this person would do this stuff for views. Then information came about to him that revealed that this video used for the creepy sounds that it heard in a cave, it actually used stock footage or stock creepy sound effects that you could purchase on iTunes, and the guy just edited it into the video. So what you're hearing is literally just a clip from an iTunes sound pack of creepy sounds that you can purchase, anybody can purchase, and it is a direct match. It is not a sample of it that they intersperse with other things. No, they just directly used that audio in their video to simulate that there were creepy whispers. And I thought it was something weird to begin with anyway, because uh, why do all these creepy whispers always whisper some of the same things like, get out, or uh, all these warnings? Isn't there any creepy voice that says, you know, drink your Ovaltine, or try Ginkgo Biloba for improved mental health? How do they never say that? Regardless... He edited the video, and there's like a last-minute cut in, in the video where Ryan's like, no, wait, before, after I made this video and was discussing it, I found more information out. And that's when he reveals that it's an iTunes sound pack. The 
issue with why the video was taken down is that the guy who runs the channel of Exploring Abandoned Minds Unusual Places has attacked other YouTubers, at least one, and threatened them with DMCA takedowns. And if you run a YouTube channel, you know how bad a Digital Millennium Copyright Act takedown is and what that does to your channel. It's it's absolutely devastating and can shut things down completely and it prevents you from using certain things that YouTube offers to content creators in terms of monetization, uh, how it affects the videos that are being used. If you're using a Super Chat on a live stream, it affects all that stuff. This guy had threatened and actually initiated DMCA takedowns, which is why Ryan had to proactively take down his video before he got a copyright strike. So, with all that being said, I want your guys' general take on the situation. And since we started with Ross on the last one, Jedi, I want you to run with this one first. Gotcha. Well... I went back and I actually watched the original, well, as much of the original video as I could. Honestly, there's only so interested you can pretend to be in a flashlight review video. <laughs> if I'm pretending to be interested in a, in a flashlight review, it had better be across the table on a date with a gorgeous supermodel. <laughs> That's like the only time I'm ever going to pretend to be interested in your hearing about your flashlight. No, it was funny watching the video because most of it is very mundane. Most of it fits with the rest of the video or the series. Yet one thing I noticed was throughout the setup to right before the creepy sounds all start, he's he's already justifying himself and justifying his arguments. And he knows people are going to call him out and he knows people are going to... You know, maybe they won't find out that he's he's sampling from a soundboard, but he he knows people are going to already have these arguments and he's trying to prepare for it. I'm not surprised at all that his answer to people calling him out is, OK, well, I'll just take legal action. OK, well, I'll just get you banned. I'll do whatever, because that's how those kinds of people are. They're they're trying to like almost bully their way into being what they want to be. And if you don't like it, well, then there's something obviously wrong with you. Ross, your thoughts? I'm going to try to stay away from the uh, fair use and uh, YouTube is bad because I, I feel like people already know all about this. It's all over the place. I will say that the video is obviously fake and it's a slap in the face. I like Ryan's video a lot. It is weird to me that the video is titled Creepy Sounds Captured in an Abandoned Mind While Reviewing the Through Night in TN12 Flashlight. It's a review. Almost seems like he's trying to make this video also go viral. So I'm not going to pin anything on the company of the Through Night TN12 Flashlight, but yeah, I've always felt like something fishy went on there. Like maybe. He was being paid to do this. I'm not saying for certain, but this is just from what I can see other than what has already been brought to the table, obviously, it being fake. I'm just trying to throw different theories. You mean the possibility, basically, that this was a could have been a viral marketing stunt that through night one to push forward with somebody, and that's this could have been the result of it, you're saying? Definitely. Kind of like the... Um, if you remember a while back, there was the viral video where the guy is using a tape measure and he's like flinging it around to do different things. That was a marketing stunt by a glass company, if I recall correctly. I don't know if you guys remember that video. I do not. Uh, I'm going to have to send it to you afterwards, but yeah, I feel like it's something along the lines of that. Something 
trying to kind of sneak in this marketing, something that's been paid to be viral. It does make sense. It's an interesting theory, one that I, I don't think we can completely discount. I would honestly suspect that the company had nothing to do with it, and these were his hopes that, oh, if I can go viral and mention this flashlight and get the views, then I'll get one of those sweet, sweet sponsorship deals. And I think that's why he gets so in your face about it if you try to say, oh, this wasn't real or tries to discount it because you're, you're potentially taken away from his, uh, his payday. Ah, see, this is the good part about having the panel discussion is different theories coming up like that. And it could be the case, too. What we do know for sure, there's definitely two things that we can say, is that number one, as Ross was alluding to but didn't want to get into, and I'll briefly say, is that if somebody is reviewing or covering his channel, and they're doing it from a critical perspective, it falls under the realm of fair use. Because criticism is a respected art. I mean, hell, Roger Ebert got a Pulitzer Prize for criticism because he's a movie critic. Cisco and Ebert would use clips from movies in order to talk about them and, and showcase the film that they were discussing. It's fair use. And when somebody is trying to push a copyright claim that flies in the face of fair use that is supposed to be against YouTube's policies. YouTube doesn't give a shit. They're, they're terrible when it comes to defending their creators. It is what it is. Different discussion for a different day. But either way, anybody who is using that footage from a critical perspective should be protected by fair use law. This guy is throwing that out the window, not caring, and just attacking people. So that's wrong there. The other thing that you can clearly see that ties into the kind of whether this is marketing or what he wants to do his hopes is that if you look through his videos you'll see things like uh, dicey descent into two abandoned mines with 32,000 views exploring the abandoned copper aces mine 39,000 views finding something unexpected in an abandoned mine abandoned compromise suddenly that jumps up to 4.8 million views probably because the word unexpected is one of those key words in there. Uh, anything that has to do with the paranormal generally bumps up his view count. And there are some others in there that, that aren't associated with that. Like there's one called Amazing Underground Waterfalls in a Flood and Abandoned Mind that has 219,000 views. So again, it's not necessarily the case where all his non-paranormal videos are underperforming and he just relies on those ones. But when you do look at things that tend to be tied to something uh, a bit more creepy the view counts shoot up. And again, that ties to keywords like this one, dangerous exploration, finding an old gun in the Wicked Wash mine. I don't know if that old gun was planted or if it's legitimately there, but that's the issue when you catch somebody who's using uh, deliberately misleading things in their videos. When he puts in that iTunes sound effect on one of his videos, all of a sudden, everything that he uses and everything he does is now suspect. Did he actually find an old old gun, or did he dirty up a gun and put it there? Did he actually hear those sounds in a different video, or those more sound effects? And that's the other reason why he's probably so defensive about making sure that what he's actually doing in some of these videos doesn't get out. Because if it does get out, and people do recognize the fact that he's cheated before in, in making these videos, what's to say he's not doing it again? Definitely agree with that. I don't know, it puts a huge damper on, like, the Urbex and exploring community that don't do this sort of thing. I mean, of course, you've got your outliers that'll try and shove in something paranormal, but then you've got your actual uh, urban explorers uh, that go into very interesting places, and 
It's not cool whatsoever. It's not even like speculated. It's confirmed that it, it confirmed that it's fake. There is no way that it isn't fake. That's the problem. It's not even convincing. It's a shame. You guys have touched upon it all. It's it a slap in the face is is a big phrase right there. It's a slap in the face because first of all, he's he's going after the idea of fair use, like you said. It would be so convenient if every single creator in the world could go up to a critic and say, "Hey, I don't like how you're using my stuff, so I'm going to sue you if you use it." Because then, you know, nobody would ever criticize anything. That's why fair use is there. And for him to think that he's above that and to think he's above criticism is just a slap in the face to other creators, especially those that have had to face criticism and deal with criticism and succeed in spite of it, or even in some cases because of it. Criticism is how artists grow. Criticism is how good products become great products. Fair use really fits into that food chain of creation. When you try to do without it, it's you saying, I'm better than the system. I'm better than the knocks you had to put in. It's, I am above this. I am privileged. I am entitled to what I am trying to get out of my product, and I will not let you stand in the way, so I will break the rules. And one other thing, too, that I want to mention about why this is destructive and what it's doing. Jedi, you and I have discussed before we tend to lean towards the skeptical side of things when it comes to looking at paranormal activity. We all have our beliefs. For the two of us, I, I don't want to put words in Ross's mouth about what Ross believes, but I at least know for the two of us, nothing would thrill us more to find actual evidence of the paranormal and dive into that and what the implications mean for what we understand about the world at large. It would be huge for us to find something like that. And I know there's a lot of other people in the paranormal community who feel the exact same way. They're not actively trying to go out and debunk things because they're all, this is shit. No, they're going out there because they want to take out the falsehoods and they want to remove the obvious lies and, and manipulations so that we can actually investigate things that could be legitimate occurrences of things we don't understand. And when somebody puts out videos like this, it just furthers the notion that all of this is complete bunk and there's nothing. It's all fake. It's all manufactured. It gives a bad name to that, especially for people who do desperately want to prove or find that there is another side to life, another side to the world that we don't understand. No, I, I would agree. That's the that's the root of skepticism. Skepticism isn't isn't trying to be contrarian or antagonistic. That's just cynicism. You know, skepticism is prove me wrong. Prove this is the case. What this also does is it floods that whole chamber of experimentation, that chamber of test and deduction with a whole bunch of static on the outside because now you gotta you gotta either waste your time with this or you've got more people out there who want to believe and choose to believe and then they jump into this and they kind of serve as an obstacle on the path to truth the path to deduction in this case it's probably not as bad as i'm about to make it sound but it is damaging to that sort of movement in search of truth if you put a bunch of fake stuff out there if you cry wolf it makes it that much less likely that not only will you not be believed if a wolf comes to eat your sheep, but that guy down the road might not be believed when an actual wolf is at his door because they're going to be like, oh, well, remember when so-and-so down the road said there was a wolf and there was none? Well, it's probably the same thing. It just hurts everybody involved except for maybe the guy looking for a payday out of it. Well, Ross, I'll give you the last word on this. Uh, any other thoughts before we move on about 
exploring abandoned mines or wolves? Um, okay, maybe not about the wolves. I'm sorry, Jedi. I'm going to have to <laughs> take a pass on that one. I do want to say that I find it ironic that him uh, claiming it wasn't fair use and uh, taking down the video... It's actually kind of damaging to him too. It's or it's also going to send him traffic, but it's also going to get him a lot of hate, and it's going to get him a lot of negativity. I mean, he's just shining light on and kind of confirming that it it, it is fake. He's not a great guy when it comes to business like this. I don't know him personally, but this was not a cool move. Yeah, I'm glad you specified that, too, because we're not attacking the individual. And Ross specifically said, he's not a great guy when it comes to this. He could be a wonderfully warm guy outside of that, loving family man, don't know. All we know is that when it comes to his takedowns and his threat threats towards other content creators who are criticizing him, that's a dick move. That's not cool any way, shape, or form. But he... We're not attacking him as a person. We are looking at his actions, and we're not using those to define him. We're just discussing what these actions are doing to other people, to the community at large. And I'm glad that you took a moment to mention that so we could firmly establish that we are not attacking the individual. We're just looking at his actions and what they mean towards others. So, with that being said, I think that's the best note to close on. And thank you again, Ross, for bringing that up. We, we should have mentioned that a bit bit more, and I'm glad that we did there. Oh, no problem. And then moving on to the big topic of discussion for this episode, uh, this is one that Jedi brought up because it's something that is affecting the community or just the people with horror interests in general. And that's, as of 2018, we're in the last two months of that year, but this has been a terrible year for new horror content. There has not been much to go on at all compared to previous years. And Jedi, I want you to start off the discussion on that, since this is something that you wanted to bring up. Well, I want to you know, save some for the discussion, but ultimately, I, the best place to start is where earlier when you said YouTube doesn't care about its creators, but that's a discussion for a different day. All I could think is it's a discussion for a different segment. Yeah, there Be we go. <laughs> because that's absolutely what is causing the horror drought. And it, it, it started with when they changed their policies and procedures when dealing with advertisers and what they would flag as not advertiser friendly. If it was not catering to young kids or those safe lists or things like that and pretty much anything relating to horror, it was not advertiser friendly. So it hurt the community because now you had people who were coming in and they were either unable to produce their content because what was the point? I'm not going to get paid for it. Or you had people who would come in, produce their content, but not be able to sustain what they were doing because they weren't able to make money. They weren't a part of the algorithm. They were shoved off in the side of of the corner of YouTube at table nine with all the other freaks. That's why there's a horror drought. Is it's in my opinion, is YouTube is not encouraging this sort of content creation. Well I can say from my experience on my channel how ridiculous YouTube is when it comes to what they consider advertiser friendly. For people who have looked at my channel, they know that much of the content is a recurring series of reviews of Frasier episodes. And if there is one thing that is potentially one of the most non-offensive white bread things you can do, it's watch a Frasier episode. 
it's a comedy that pr- that prides itself on being a bit more intellectual and not talking down to its audience. It's about rich white people. It's it's really not offensive at all. And my reviews of it had been labeled as not advertiser friendly. And what what the hell? How is that not advertiser friendly? Is it boring the advertisers? It can't be that it's boring them because they said it contains content that might be offensive to some advertisers. And I have no idea what could possibly be offensive to them, aside from the fact that YouTube just doesn't like the content, and this is their way of saying it. They don't want to deal with a smaller channel, and they don't want to deal with having a number of different people that they have to interact with, which is why they try to automate as much as they can, and then push people off to the side. And the biggest thing now that's affecting the horror community is the the issue of duplication that YouTube is coming out with, where they'll say, oh, you're duplicating content from another source. Okay, if I'm duplicating content, what am I duplicating? Well, we're not going to tell you because it's all automated. But But they also say that they have a live person going through these videos to authorize them. So something's not right in what they're doing. It seems to me that if there were actual duplication going on, there would be a problem with copyright infringement. But they're not saying that there's a copyright strike. So obviously, this is just their way of weeding out content that they don't like and they don't want on the channel. And that is flat-out ridiculous. And like you said, Jedi, it's shutting people out from wanting to create horror on one of the bigger platforms for it. Not saying that there isn't any other platform, but let's be realistic. What else is out there? Daily Motion? That's a fucking laugh. <laughs> Vimeo? Another laugh. Again, they're they're great for Vimeo's great for people who want to put videos out there, but it doesn't have the reach that YouTube has. So realistically, if you want to get your content out to a great number of people, YouTube is the only place to go right now. And they know it. They fucking know that it's the only place that a person can go. And without the competition, they can dictate whatever they want, and you're screwed. Because they know they're the only game in town. You know, when we talk about capitalism and competition, when it's supposed to go the way it is, that's where those things are supposed to come into play and help even out that playing field. Where if you had another competitor saying, you don't like what YouTube's offering, we'll offer you this this kind of feedback, all this stuff, and it's supposed to lure people away from YouTube to make YouTube then go, oh, wait, 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 well, uh, we're going to change this to make you happier so that we can get you back here. But none of that is taking place. Ross, your thoughts? I definitely agree with that. It almost feels like YouTube is plugging their ears and saying la, 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 la. They're drowning out the noise, trying to shove new products in our faces and it probably also doesn't help that uh google plus is now defunct that's also stress on any creator i mean google plus was a huge part of youtube and i know that people were having trouble working with youtube without google plus it's i'd like to actually move away from youtube and talk about film i feel like even with horror films there's been a huge drop in quality this year and hell even a couple years earlier for horror in general i mean you've got the few big horror releases this year were what the nun and hereditary which hereditary isn't bad i mean 
that was an outlier, but we've just got so much slop. It's annoying, and I'm glad that we do have channels like Nightmare Expo that do push through it. Even like smaller web series too, they get screwed over. There's just so much to say about it. Uh, when it comes to big budget horror, I, I think the issue there that you're hinting at too is the fact that there's a couple of outliers that, that come up but a majority of it just feels like recycled schlock that isn't very imaginative. And outside of that, maybe we've got... There's The Haunting of Hill House that hit Netflix, but that's a retelling of the original Haunting on Hill House novel, and there was the original film, uh, A Haunting. So even though it's got kind of a, a different take on it, it's still kind of recycled material. And I think when you're talking about how we don't have anything fresh coming out of the film industry except for a couple of outliers, that ties into it. Anything that we do get feels rehashed, hence we have another Halloween movie. Yes, definitely. Uh, I've heard that the new Halloween isn't that bad, though, but that doesn't really take away from the fact that it is a sequel to a movie that's had so many other films. It's trying to justify itself for being unoriginal. And on top of that, too, I mean, some of the other things that have come out from the horror crowd, you've got Black Mirror, which is basically a technological spin on Twilight Zone. You've got American Horror Story, which is now into, it's like, what, seventh or eighth season at this point in time? A lot of things that still, uh, it's not fresh. It's, it's not fresh. It's, I don't want to say it's stale, because there's still energy going on there, but it's not fresh material. Where are we seeing any fresh material, Ross? I feel like in the indie scene, we're definitely getting some sort of fresh material, but even then it's sort of being pushed to the side. I don't know. I don't know. It's like the topic uh, indicates, it's a horror drought. It's kind of depressing. We aren't even getting what the consumers want. We're getting another, like you said, Halloween. Where it... You just said that we're not getting what the fans want. We're getting what, at least in the the bigger industry, and I guess this ties into everything too, we're getting what the marketers think we want. And I think that ties into something you said earlier, Jedi. I, I honestly think that that is absolutely what's affecting this. Go, going back to the YouTube topic, we look at even you know the first topic we talked about, Bloody Mary. The problem there was, like we said, marketing guys saying we know better. And you're seeing that with YouTube content now, and you're seeing it with the, the, the algorithm. Think about all, all you need to do to screw up your suggested videos. Say you watch a bunch of classic rock videos, and then you watch one rap song. Next thing you know, you're full of Vivo, Vivo suggestions all over the place because you watched one Vivo video despite the fact you've the last hundred videos you watched were independent channels redoing classic rock songs. That's the biggest problem with it is that regardless of what you are actually watching, you watch something that's flagged and it's going to start suggesting that to you because it's going to sit there and say, these people pay us, they make us money, therefore that must mean they're good. So we're going to push them on you. And that's what prevents you from seeing any original content is odds are it exists. It's just you have to know where to find it now. It's not going to be out in the open like it was even just two years ago. As long as that is the norm and as long as marketing guys are allowed to run these sorts of things the way they are, this is going to keep happening. And the only way to do that as a consumer is to vote with our dollar. 
is to sit there and say, I'm not going to watch this movie. I'm not going to give this video a view. I'm not going to do this. But so many of us, we don't think that way. We want to be outraged. We want to be angry, but then we're going to go and do it anyway, you know, because we don't think that our $5 here or our view here is going to hurt. But if a million people give $5 to that project, or if a million people give that video a view, well, it does hurt. So that's the best thing to do is if you see something you don't like, absolutely 100% do not support it. So that way, if the marketing guys are running things, we make sure that we are letting them know in a way that they're going to listen to that we don't like what they're trying to give us. Give us more of this independent production. Give us some more of this original production by voting with our dollar and voting with our time. I want to toss something here to Ross, but I'm going to preface it with a, a small anecdote. I had a friend who told me that Star Wars killed the film industry. And I didn't know what he meant by that, but I had him elaborate, and he basically said that ever since Star Wars came out in 77, everybody has been trying to recreate that success in the sense of how Star Wars created so much merchandise and franchising, the idea of having a multi-billion dollar industry built around it, that people want to try to recapture that glory and in doing so, it's developing a creative drought, because that's all people want to try to recreate, going back to the whole idea of money over innovation. And the more I thought about it, I felt, yeah, there's some validity to that, and that people want to try to recapture that magic. And I'm wondering if that has happened in the independent web series community. And I'm reminded of something that Ross mentioned when... We were doing our first episode, we talked about this Forest is Occupied, where Ross said he's seen it before, and he's seen it done better. This is why I toss this question out to you, Ross. Do you feel that people are trying to recapture the magic of something like Marble Hornets, to the point where Marble Hornets is the Star Wars of these web series, and that it killed it? by making people focused too much on it. I feel like it's not really... It's not special anymore. I can't go back and watch Marvel Hornets and be like, wow, this is really interesting. When I could have, a few years ago, when we didn't have all of these copycats being pushed in our faces. I mean, they were still there a few years ago. Marvel Hornets was still popular a few years ago. But there were still copycats at the time. But now they're right there, front and center, and it's so annoying because we've got r slash ARG, it's filled with them. We've got the same thing repeated over and over and over and over again. And I can't believe, like, the people who are creating these series, they don't look at their ideas and go, wow, this is very unoriginal, I should fix this. They they just roll with it, and because people will do it, people will invest time into it regardless because nobody wants to push to get better content nobody wants to like dig deeper and going back to what was said before those that are willing to create that newer content for people are in no way shape or form incentivized to do so now here's a question that i'll pose to both of you i'll start with ross and we'll hand it over to jedi are we potentially creating a vicious cycle here of because there's a horror drought, people latch on to the first new thing that they see regardless of the quality, which encourages people to continue making low-quality content 
because there's a drought of it, which has causes people to latch onto it, which is causing, you know, I think you see what I'm saying here. Is that a thing? Am, is that happening right now? Am I being too pessimistic and cynical about it? I totally agree with you there. I do feel like, or yeah, at least it seems that way. What got me into horror and web series and ARGs is the Knock 26 or Knock 10, the Bin Drowned ARG from a while back. Just stuff like that, stuff that was new and interesting. And why can't we get copycats of stuff like that? I mean, I would rather no copycats at all, but can't we at least get a variety of copycats? I mean, <laughs> Jedi, your thoughts? I, I feel like I'm, I'm going to switch gears here and, and be a little bit more optimistic in, in, in this one. I don't see it being a cycle that we're not going to escape from. You see it in every art form that we go through time where old ideas are recycled or there's just nothing coming out. And, you know, so people revisit those old ideas or what have you. But eventually something does come along that is unique, is new, and kind of revitalizes the the attention of it. And I'm just hoping that that, that happens with this. Uh, and I think it will. I think we will see new content that is coming out with a new, fresh, original take on it. We're starting to see it now. We're starting to see it with some creators out there and i i do think that i I think we'll come back from this i do it's not something we can expect to automatically happen it is something we as consumers and others as artists are going to have to kind of play a role in like i said vote with your dollar vote with your time Uh, i think one other thing too that ties into this and actually goes back into the previous conversations we were having is that i think if there's one source of creativity that's been somewhat reliable in terms of pushing boundaries and trying things, it has been like Wham City Comedy and some of those elements that have been coming out of what Adult Swim has been feeding. But one of the differences between what they're doing and what independent channels are doing is uh, money. They're actually getting that funding, which goes back into the discussions that we've had about what happens when you have an idea that you want to put forward, but you don't have the financial capital to do it, and another company comes in. And it seems like Adult Swim has been pretty good about saying, here's some money, do what you want, and we allow it to happen. But my issue with that, I respect what they're doing, but I miss the amateurism, and I miss the like the low-quality attempts at trying to create something unique. Uh, to me, a spectacular kind of failure, and I don't want to say a complete failure, but like when we talk about the forest is ocu- this forest is occupied, it was trying something is trying to do it, you know, on a fairly cheap budget, something that anybody could try to do. But it was really attempting, even if it failed in some respects, to do something unique on an independent level. And to me, I would rather see those things trying and failing than see big budget efforts, or bigger budget efforts, succeeding. Uh, and I want to hear your guys' take on that, because maybe I'm being too harsh and overlooking what things like Wham City Comedy bring to the table considering alan resnick i'm pretty sure he's a part of lime city comedy i right he started out fairly low budget with alan tutorial and i feel like he had to work to um get a get a name for himself and that's all because he started out doing something new and uh, new and original on youtube and 
still, we really haven't seen anything like Alan Tutorial recently. He made it work, and he made a name for himself, and now he's on Adult Swim, and now he's doing bigger projects like uh, This House Has People in It. And... Yeah, I, I want to say, I don't want to cut you off, I'm just going to interject quick and let, let you take it back over, is that I found Alan Tutorial infinitely more interesting than This House Has People in It. That could just be personal taste, but that amateurish effort that was behind Alan Tutorial, to me, was far more engaging than This House Has People in It. Alan Tutorial definitely had relatability, almost, like, with the amateur feel of it, and that's what make it made it so compelling. So, I somewhat agree with you there. I mean, I did feel, yeah, feel like This House Has People in It was very entertaining. It's one of my favorite Adult, uh, adult Swim, like, uh, infomercials. That's my take on it. Patrons and artists have been peas and carrots since art started, essentially. You know, in order for an artist to be able to make it, you know, they had to have somebody back them. And it doesn't bother me as long as the the patron is understanding enough that they realize I'm supporting this artist because I like this artist's work. And I like this artist's work because they can do something that I cannot. So as long as they remain laissez-faire and allow the the artists to produce, I I honestly don't care if we get something that looks like Steve Brule or something that looks produced like Too Many Cooks. This is one of the things why I enjoy discussions, because we all bring our different tastes and perspectives to the table. I know, Jedi, you mentioned that you had spoken to others about the drought in the horror community. What have you discovered from your conversations with others? Uh, well, I touched upon a little bit of it, uh, particularly uh, Discord user Omiteodo was very helpful in lending insight. What they had to say was very much in line with the what you were talking about earlier, the automated system, and how the automated system needed to be, to even as a viewer, I'm not talking about from the, the angle of a creator, but as a viewer wanting to see certain concept, uh, content, they had to trick the system. They had to manipulate the algorithm to actually find horror because they saw things that tricked the creator end algorithm showing up, things that a lot of people out there listening may know as like ElsaGate or those other 3D videos and things like that that know what buzzwords to throw out there to show up in everyone's search. YouTube is on the creator end being so automated is is hurting the viewer because now the viewer has to then try to trick the automation and create a new algorithm. And they were saying that that was one of the biggest hurdles was the fact that they want to see horror content, but you really, really have to to work for it. You have to you have to essentially know how to beat a system to find it now at this point. I don't want to say it's entirely insurmountable, but it's certainly very difficult to do, especially if you're just a casual listener or watcher. And trying to figure out how that works, it's not going to help. As you say, with the, the way the algorithms work, I think that the most you're going to find if you're trying to dig around for horror is you're going to come across list videos or narration channels. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that there's no place for those, because there is. But they fulfill a certain part of the horror demographic that does not, it does not lend itself to what we're trying to discuss here with the ARG community and uh, people who love a good mystery or a good story in that, you know, narration stories are, are concise things that they, they have that element of, well, is this true that this person's been reporting? Is it a made-up story? Whatever. It's it's the uh, equivalent of reading 
Oh, what was that book? It was that like the kids' horror book that you'd pass around elementary school with uh, the oh, scary stories to tell in the dark. Yes, yeah, yeah, scary stories to tell in the dark. That's what like the narration channels are doing. Whereas the list channels are kind of somewhat being factual, but they're still kind of some of them are manipulative in that they're including information that's obviously fake in a list that like is supposed to be somewhat factual based, and none of those things are the the t- kind of topic that you can really dig into and, and look at like we want with the, the ARG community and we want with these horror stories and these web series and there's been so little of that that you can e- easily find because you keep getting pushed into these other categories I honestly cannot tell you the last time I was in a YouTube hole if you will and came across a legitimately off-putting or creepy or disturbing video that just made me go, what did I just watch? I need to find out more. Everything I've discovered has been through this, you know, like you said, this list over here or or what have you. And I think you see that in in the production of even in Nexpo, because I, I can't remember the last time with the exception of I mispronounce it every time. So I'm going to say Mushroom Land. The uh, that was found on YouTube. But, you know, even even Nexpo gets most of the stuff off of Reddit, Facebook suggestions, things like that, because you can't just rely on those those YouTube deep dives anymore. Yeah, isn't that sad? It's just because going down the rabbit hole would always be so much fun and don't have that anymore. Were there any other thoughts you'd collected from the community, Jedi? Uh, That was pretty much it. And other stuff we talked upon that at this point would be repeating. It's definitely something that the smaller creators, I'm sure, would love a chance to chime in on. You know, and I'm, I'm sure this won't be the last time that we talk about this. I would love to hear their take on it because honestly... We as viewers are are hurt, and those of us that want to consume art are hurt, but so are they. They are trying to live a dream, and the only thing they did wrong was come up in a time where the medium is pretty much a monopoly at this point. I want to close this out by having us all suggest or, or just say what we want to see happen. Just one idea that we want to see happen. And I'll, I'll start by saying what I want to see is people taking chances with ideas that they don't know if they'll work. I would rather see somebody, instead of trying to be the next Marble Hornets or trying to to be the next Dear David or something, I want to see somebody take an idea that they really not fully confident on, but they want to try it. And I want to see them put it out there, and even if it fails, know that they tried. Because that's something that is not happening as much as I want to see it. Those bad ideas or those half-baked ideas or the things you're not fully confident on, when you put that out into the open and you see what people respond to, that's the thing that's going to help you grow and maybe flesh that idea out into something better, something bigger, something that responds more with it resonates more with people because you've learned from that attempt. So if I could say anything right now to anybody listening who wants to try to create something, Try. Do it. Put it out there. See what happens. Don't be afraid to take the flack from it. And and see what you can do after you've learned. That That's really what I, I would love to see happen. We'll, we'll give Ross the last word on it. Uh, Jedi, what do you want to see? Honestly, I, I agree with what you said. And I'm, I'm glad you asked this question because there was another thing that was brought up to me that kind of fits in line with what I would like to see is more companies that understand that taking the risk on, on these smaller content producers is what 
will help them pay off too. So many of them want to take the safe bet, but a lot uh, there there was one company that did help keep a lot of them afloat, and that was the Dollar Shave Club. You know, it went and sponsored several videos that otherwise would not have gotten sponsorship. They understood that in a lot of cases, the only thing standing between a, a new creator and the success they're looking for is just that little bit of support. I wish more companies would do that. Understand that if they prop up this guy on the ground floor, they'll get a dirt cheap investment. Yeah, they might lose a little bit, but that's tax write-off, and you don't lose a little. Uh, you don't lose a lot because this is a smaller uh, content creator who doesn't who doesn't need a lot to start out. If it skyrockets, congratulations, you've just reached millions of people paying somebody to reach their first couple dozen. All right, and Ross, what do you want to see? I definitely want to see people stop taking themselves too seriously. It's, I feel like that's a huge problem with uh, horror series and ARGs in general. Even creativity, I feel like creativity kind of gets overshadowed by trying to be as serious and as dark and as edgy as possible. I want to see people just stop worrying if it's dark enough or if it's going to be creepy enough or spooky or scary, whatever you want to say. Obviously, we've established that there's a drought. We, we know what we want to see from the community to hopefully shake things up and improve the situation. But this leads actually into something that is very fitting for the next topic because, you know, we've been talking about how there's a, la- a lack of creative content. The next subject here involves actually something that is creative. And that's the web series Factors of Zero. Right now, it's only at six videos. It's been out for... Let me see when the first video was put out. The first video was put out back on July 27th, 2017. And so far, the last one was put out three months ago. So it's it's been taking its time. And it's an interesting series that revolves around a content creator who is wanting to make an ARG, as he puts it in the introduction video. He wants to make an ARG that takes the A out of it, so that it becomes less about an alternate reality, and more about reality itself. And they're, they're trying to take their emotions, their issues, any anything that's plaguing people, it, it, this kind of relating to the audience, trying to take things that are common problems that we face, whether it be emotional, mental, and blurring the lines between reality and fiction. We see that play out over these videos. It's definitely a unique concept, because it's one of those very few games or series where it flat out tells you from the start that this is a game, or is it a game? Uh, But it already clues you into the fact that you shouldn't take this completely seriously as a supernatural occurrence uh, uh, that that's being documented and the, the person is chronicling everything that occurs. There's something different about the way this is being presented. And that drew my respect immediately towards it. And I want to hear your guys' initial reactions to when you first started watching the series. Uh, Jedi, what, what were you feeling when you first started watching? You started to touch upon it where in the introduction video, you're you're told this isn't an ARG, but it is, but it's not. And you're kind of sitting there and it, I, I didn't realize it till it was done that I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm like, OK, so did it start or is it going to start or wait, what are, are we in it now? Is it, it was in, and then I realized I was like, oh, that's that's the magic of this is you're engrossed before you even realize you are. You're analyzing it before you even realize you are. 
it just piqued my interest from there. It was it was very intriguing, and I I also thought the 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 style and the technique behind it was also very impressive. Ross, what about your initial thoughts? I haven't actually watched much of it recently. I remember when the first video was released, I was very engrossed by the first video, and I, I was like looking through all of this guy's social media and yeah and stuff just to find out the next piece because that couldn't have been it it's got to be there's got to be some sort of puzzle that's what this is right no it isn't it's just it's exactly what it says it is but not because when the second video dropped or maybe it was the third video not everything is surface level there's stuff hidden in the background and it's genuinely creepy this guy knows that you're going to be scouring these videos for like some sort of next clue or next puzzle or some sort of link some sort of code there is nothing there's just like little bits and pieces of story and it's only shown in these videos or at least uh from when i started watching the videos that's how the story was told yeah, uh, it's a very interesting point in that it's made by somebody who obviously knows how people are going to approach the media. When you're a creator who's self-aware of what's going on, that does factor into how you're going to present things in a very interesting way. You do have kind of uh, things tucked away in the background, like you said, and there's a wonderful little kind of jump scare that occurs in the fourth video, Dream Oblivion. Well, the the main character is typing on his computer, and then all of a sudden in the background you see this kind of monstrous creature that's, I think, alluded to be from the original uh, first video that he made. Mm-hmm. And this, that's where this gets into a wonderful little psychological thing. When he's talking about taking the A out of the ARG, the notion that somebody is haunted by their past creations... We're seeing that in a literal form, like a literal haunting in the video. But Jedi, this is something that I think both you and I can relate to as being writers. In that we both have things that we've written in the past, where if we think back about them, we would our thoughts would be, oh my god, I can't believe I wrote something so terrible. And it's going to stick with you, knowing that you know, you've, you've improved, you've worked on the craft, and that you still go back and think about how awful some of that past material you wrote was, and you can't believe you even thought it was good in the past. Oh, absolutely. I was, I was going to say that was a, a personal touch on, on this that really resonated with me. I mean, it, you don't even have to go that far back in the past for me. Like the first draft of the book I just released, um, I hope never sees the light of day. It really is. If you are an artist and like he said, is it a character? Is it him? Who knows? But the artist, the filmmaker in in the, in these stories, it, being haunted by his past creations is just such a nice personal touch. And I think that's what gives this so much heart is that it's not just somebody who's okay. I want to I want to create an ARG. All right, how do I write a how do I write an affine cipher? What's a what's a rotation cipher? You know, oh oh, is this going to be too hard if I give them an enigma? You know, how do I give a jump scare or, or whatever? This is somebody who's like. How do I tell a personal story? How do I make it engaging for everybody? The story is at the core. It's it's almost like it's doing exactly the opposite that I criticize Channel 7 for doing, for having a story but then choosing the wrong medium and just going with it because they wanted to do the medium. The medium was too important to them, whereas this you can tell the story. The message is the most important thing, and the craft and the care is there, and that allows then – 
the skill behind the medium to come out. And it just produces something that's, going back to the last segment, honestly something that we are wanting to see. Yeah, and the other thing, too, that really strikes me that ties into the fact that this is not something that we've seen before in many respects and also goes into the kind of alternate reality versus reality is that this is shot in a way that completely destroys any semblance of it being a found footage or an actual like documentation. This is shot like a film. The cinematography is rich. Uh, it's a very vibrant colors. They're uh, it got like a, a wonderful saturation to them of what you'd see in a professional shoot. There's lingering on certain shots that hold tension and atmosphere. So there's no, not a lot of quick cutting. The direction of the camera, like the actual positioning of the shots, is on a professional level. And all of that speaks to the fact that we are not watching reality. Because reality does not look like this. Reality never looks like this. This looks like a movie, but it's tackling real themes. And that's the big difference between this and any other series that we've covered so far, even in the short infancy of this channel. This looks professional. If you see somebody uh, on a chat site somewhere, and they have a profile picture, and you're looking at the picture and be like, All right, well, that's actually a professional model quality shot there. That's not the actual person. They're using a fake picture. They're using stock photos. And you can tell because of the the way the photo looks, the color, the positioning, it looks like a professional shoot. So you, you know you're not dealing with reality if you try, try to talk to that person. Here you have an identical situation where, based off of the way it's portrayed, the way it's filmed, you know you're not dealing with reality. And I think that's all the more draw to it because so many other series want to make it reality. They want to try to blur those lines. This one's not blurring the lines. Well, and I, I think that's very intentional uh, because if you remember in the introduction, he he says an ARG is something that tries to convince you it's real. So would, it, would an RG be something that tries to convince you that it's not? So even by choosing camera styles and angles and all of that that make you automatically go, oh, clearly this is a production. Congratulations, the RG has just convinced you it's not real, which is part of the mind game of it. But we're also tackling, like, concrete issues here. Like, for instance, in the the last video that was uploaded, 00000, it's a short video, it's less than a minute long, but it directly hits on the fears of content creators. Because you had this deep voice in the background going, Aiden, you haven't uploaded in months. What's happening you're a failure. It's a voice speaking to what content creators go through all the time when they can't maintain a schedule or they feel burnout or the series isn't attracting the attention that they hoped it would. Just in that one minute, <laughs> it tackles so many real-life fears. It's fantastic. Well, it's the same PowerPoint I think we all feel playing in the back of our brain right when you're in that moment between being awake and being asleep when you're like, all right, I need to get some sleep. And your brain's like, hey, remember that time you screwed up when you were 18? It, it perfectly captured that feeling almost of being between a dream in real life and anxiety with a voice. Speaking of things like anxiety with a voice, from your remembrance of going back through the series around the time of its uh, inception, Ross, 
What feelings did you gather from it? What emotions did it play to or did it speak to within you? Initially, when I started watching it, I was like, wow, this is pretty pretentious. But uh, as, as I dug deeper into it, um, I realized that this guy has a ton of talent and I was very impressed with the professional feel of it. I, I did also feel like the story that he was trying to tell was very, very personal and very, very real. I almost felt sympathetic, but everybody feels it feels these kinds of emotions, and I don't know. It was interesting. I really haven't felt that way watching a video in a while because I know I actually know what this guy is going through. It's not superficial, and honestly, feel like I know this person and what he's thinking, and I really enjoyed it. You touched on something there that I think, for me, was one of the only fallings and shortcomings of this series, was the third video, an apology. And that's, the only reason I fault this one, is because it doesn't feel real like the other ones do. I don't feel genuine emotion. I feel like this is the one, an apology is the video that tried to turn this to show it was more of a horror series by having the creator on camera saying, I owe you an apology, uh, <laughs> I lied to you about my past creation not mattering. It does matter. And it just comes across as so very melodramatic and over the top. It, it hurt my immersion. Because at that point in time, I felt like the other, I almost felt like the other videos were kind of like professionally filmed vlogs where he's talking about legitimate feelings and fears but then in order to kind of make this take a supernatural bend or to add to the creep factor, an apology had to be made, the video, to lay down the foundation for that. But it was done in a way that felt forced. Like the the acting was just not there. And that, that hurt it because it wasn't genuine. The others felt very genuine. This felt like acting. Uh, and I wish that that had been done a little bit better. I can definitely agree with that. I'd like to add that I'm pretty sure that's when I stopped watching because I felt like that's where everything was going to get super dramatic and it was going to lose its charm of being personal and me connecting with this character of this real content creator because it honestly does feel like he's playing a character I, I don't know, it's really strange. Like, he knows what he's doing. And I feel like Apology is definitely where it tips off. And I don't know if that's for the rest of the ser series. I don't know if it keeps its charm, but after that, I felt like there was no coming back, at least for me. I think Jedi can speak to this as well as I can. But it does bounce back from after that with the next two videos being Dream, Oblivion, and Winter. Uh, your thoughts, Jedi? Uh, yeah, I was going to say it definitely does bounce back. And I took it as, it kind of goes back to what you were saying before. Would you rather have maybe a hit to the quality of something in, in order to get to the meat of it later? Or would you rather have a part of a product rather than no product at all? Sometimes when you're telling a story, 
you have a really great scene here and a really great scene on the other side of it, but you need a connector and you just can't come up with the right way to do it. So you you essentially give it your best. You do what you need to do. And not everything you do is going to be a winner. But at the same time, if the viewer can just repay that credit that they've built up to that point and continue on through it, they'll get to some really great stuff. And that's just a gamble sometimes you have to take as a creator when you do hit a block and you're trying to create the best possible thing you do, but sometimes maybe your best doesn't come up where you want it to be or you do have to rely on a necessary evil to get from point A to point B. But if you follow that creation from point A to point B, you more oftentimes than not are, are rewarded. Yeah, because an apology sets up this kind of darkness and the, the idea of what was done in the past mattering. Because then in Dream Oblivion, we see the past creations coming back to haunt him. And then in Winter we see him being haunted by his lack of motivation or the lack of creativity. And I think at one point in time, the computer starts typing by itself, uh, which lends to the idea of the kind of the creative muse just not always being a part of you, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. There's that stopgap in an apology, and the way I would compare it to is a concept album, where you're trying to tell a story, but you're trying to write songs at the same time. And then sometimes you have a song whose lyrics are just terrible. And the only reason the lyrics are there is because it has to tell the story. But it doesn't make for a very good song in general. Uh, and that, that's something like The Who was guilty of at times, too, with like Quadrophenia. Where some of the some of the lyrics would just be complete throwaways that felt so forced because they're just trying to tell the story. As opposed to being a lyrically well thought out song like Love Rain Over Me. Which is one of The Who's best songs, by the way. But regardless, the the whole point is you have to go through and, and accept that that bit of a hit to the quality to see where it goes from there. Especially when it comes to a smaller content creator like Aiden is here and what Factors of Zero is trying to do. Because it's not always going to fire on all cylinders. Aiden obviously is very, very talented at the direction and the cinematography. It's mind-bogglingly good. It is professional-level shit here we're dealing with. It's, it's fantastic. And obviously the writing and the inspiration for it was, was fantastic. His acting? Eh, could have been a little bit better there. But not everybody can do everything. <laughs> it's, you just can't do it all. Uh, and you have to accept that and not let it bring you down too far. Uh, because you, you have to give these creators the benefit of the doubt at times. Like we did with This Forest is Occupied. We really tried to see past the mistakes, to appreciate things as what they were. And fortunately, I feel this holds up a lot better than this Forest is Occupied does, even if it does have a, a mild misstep here, and even if the content is, is only six videos long, but it still is hitting on the themes that it wants to do, and it's doing it in a very good way. Quality over quantity, I mean, I'll definitely have to jump back into the series. I guess I was also kind of occupied uh, with other things there really is an excuse but I'll, I'll definitely have to jump back into it because he does show a lot of promise and i feel like i was kind of stupid for uh stopping because yeah because of a single video i do get what you guys are saying i totally agree with that but yeah really like the cinematography that's a make it or break it thing for me when whenever i'm watching professional or amateur there we go uh works is the camera work good is it engaging that's a big thing for me and this 
checks all the boxes. The editing's perfect. Camera work is perfect. I, I do feel like this fits into... We were talking about the horror drought and how not everybody has the money for certain things. Wham City is very high budget. I I don't know what the budget is for this. I mean, obviously, yeah, obviously he's got a nice camera. Yeah, that, that camera, I don't know what the hell he's using, but again, I, I can't emphasize this enough as somebody who went to a film school. The wonderful detail and the way it's so beautifully presented and shot is astounding. It, it, is, it is really, really good. Uh, you don't see this kind of cinematography in any other web series I've come across, just period. You don't see it. And this is the quality stuff that you would see on Adult Swim that had the financial backing. This is beautifully shot. And I, I cannot stress enough how fantastic it looks. I think a lot of it also goes back to, you know, previous points in in the conversation. Like you said, the, the budget, you don't know how much it costs to produce this. And that's a great thing. You don't know if he's a trust fund kid and you don't know if he worked his butt off to buy this camera and now he's doing it by himself. You know, you don't know. And that's that's great is that's the kind of stuff you don't want to be able to tell about your artist based off of what you're seeing. And then the other the other thing, though, is, you know, like like we were saying before, I'm stealing your 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 point here. Uh, would you rather have a little bit of content now or whatever? I think that's also why we should, you know, let maybe the acting slide a little bit. Would you rather wait for him to be able to afford an acting team or, or whatever or, you know, because then this might not even get made and we might not be able to get to enjoy this, this this great series because you can always wait for something to be better. You can always wait for something to be more ideal. And then next thing you know, you're dead. You know, you never did anything because it just wasn't the right time. So I think really what we should do is reward the risk that was taken and reward the content we're getting because this is exactly what all of us were asking for in the last segment. Exactly. And that I'm glad you brought it back up because I mentioned taking the risks and Acting on camera, if you're not an actor, is a risk. A lot of the physical acting that's being done is fantastic. Is it unfortunate that some of the work on an apology is a little off? It's unfortunate, but one of the things that we're doing here is we're advocating people look beyond that so they can see the rest of the content and how well it bounces back. Uh, So all the more reason to go full steam ahead with watching this series and appreciating the nuances and how it takes ideas and issues that we deal with and puts them into this kind of creepy, horrific setting that is not detached from reality in any way, shape, or imagination. It's just like it's giving material form to the problems that plague us as people and as creative individuals. So unless anybody has any closing thoughts... We can move on to our final topic of the conversation. Definitely go check this out. It's criminally underrated, and it deserves some more recognition. I agree with the criminally underrated. I I think it's ridiculous that previous channels mentioned in this uh, episode have more views and more subscribers than this. That is evidence to everything we've been talking about is wrong with the situation of horror right now. And so if you want to do your part in correcting it, support this and support content like it. Well, then we move on to an interesting topic for our last part of the conversation here. Now, I don't remember how I stumbled onto this. I I really wish that I could recall, but I can't. But once I found out about it, it could not leave my mind. And that is controversy that brewed on a wiki for Silent Hill. Now, I think most people watching, and I know we... We know what Silent Hill is, but for those of you who don't, 
It's a video game series created by Konami that was partially kind of a response to the survival horror craze of the mid to late 90s. Silent Hill took more of a psychological aspect to it as opposed to the zombies of Resident Evil. But the series grew. For many people, it peaked at Silent Hill 2, which introduces the idea of the character of Pyramid Head. But it also went on to Silent Hill 3, Silent Hill 4, two major movies, playable trailer, PT, that would have been for a sequel. There were a number of things that Silent Hill created and led to. Most of it's unfortunately gone by the wayside because Konami, as the owner of it, has let the property slip tremendously. There's a lot of people who are dedicated to picking apart the series. And back in December of 2015, something really strange happened on the Silent Hill wiki. Created in part by... And I don't want anybody to go find and look up this person, harass them or anything. And we're going to get into the reasons why I don't want anybody to do that. uh, One of the moderators of the server, Alex Shepard started talking about how specifically the game Silent Hill 4 is heavily about circumcision and how he feels that it is male genital mutilation and that this is a major theme of the series or the major major theme of Silent Hill 4. Interesting thing about this is that, number one, it's not about circumcision. Silent Hill 4 is not about that at all. And number two, he goes from, from all accounts... Alex Shepard was laid-back guy. N- n- none of There were no signs of him blowing up like this. And then all of a sudden, boom, one day in December, he goes off the rails talking about male circumcision, talking about grand conspiracies. It's almost like watching somebody have a mental breakdown on a wiki page responding to other people's comments. And it is just so entirely weird to see unfold. Did you guys get a chance to read through... The uh, the link that I sent that contained the thread about all of this? Oh, okay. I, I have, and I've actually got it in front of me if you'll allow me to read this through once Jedi's done speaking. I de- definitely did not read it as, as much as Ross did. I, I, of course, would be remiss not to make the joke. Uh, I'm from Florida, so it just read like talking to somebody in line at Walmart here. <laughs> Ultimately, it was... I, I didn't know what to make of it because sometimes whenever whenever something like this happens, all I can think is Poe's Law strikes again. I just couldn't tell if it was an attempt at joking or satire or if this was legitimate zealotry because it was just – I don't know. I, I honestly did not know what to make of it because I, I, I cannot diagnose anybody if they're sitting in front of me, let alone if I only have forum posts to go off of. But this was either somebody who – has a very perverse sense of humor that no one else in the world seems to get, or this is somebody who hit a break. Ross, what are you looking at at the moment from the uh, thread there? Okay, so I'm just going to read this through real quick. This isn't actually from the thread that you sent me. This is from an archive of everything that went down. You did more research. Honestly, I just had to search Silent Hill Circumcision, and now my search history is tainted. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, I was like, Circumcision? Ooh, what's this? Well, not about Circumcision, but about Silent Hill Circumcision. Yeah, it's I, a mess. <laughs> I, I, I knew you were going, what is this Circumcision thing that they speak of? <laughs> Anyways, this is so, uh, some other moderator on the... Silent Hill Wiki, they archived it just in case, apparently. 
I don't quite remember the game being a lunatic anti-male genital, uh, genital mutilation rant, so I figured the article should probably be the same way and removed as such. Even if that section is found to be worth keeping, if reinstated, it should probably do more than pay lip service to Sullivan's mental state rather than being... It's fairly long, but I'm just going to read the first post by Alex. You're a fucking horrible human for being an advocate for genital mutilation, and 99% of Americans who advocate mutilating penises are fucking brainwashed morons. Circumcision can have a huge effect and a huge influence on the development of a, human's, a human being's psyche. It's the truth. What you are trying to do is erase American history and hide the truth. Seriously, don't be on the wrong side of history. It's like trying to delete the Holocaust article on Wikipedia, saying it's some anti-Holocaust or anti-Nazi rant. That's how brainwashed you sound. Alex Shepard, December 9th, 2015. The Silent Hill wiki isn't really all that great anyways, but this kind of just- this whole thread is a mess, and I didn't actually find out what happened to Alex Shepard, but there's now- an article on the wiki where there was about somebody in the game and how they've been circumcised and then there's like a screenshot from the game where i think it's alex shepherd i think it's just alex shepherd actually he posts a screenshot of the game meat on a hanging hook like a big chunk of meat and he says it's possible foreskin symbolism uh, there's just so much wrong with all of this. There's my dog. Heard the word meat or foreskin and the dog just reacted to it. Yeah, I'm worried. <laughs> yeah, what, what's fascinating about this breakdown is, again, there's no semblance of anything in Silent Hill 4 discussing this topic. It's almost as if this person got an idea in their head that they could not shake and suddenly it completely changed their worldview, and they had to go about making it known everywhere. Because they were editing articles all over the Wikipedia, or all over the wiki of Silent Hill, to, to change parts of it to fit their theory, and how all of a sudden everything about it was about circumcision. Uh, and then he's using a bunch of bunk pseudoscience, and studies that have no... Ah, frick, I'm trying to think of the term that's escaping me. Validity? Well, not just validity, but generally when peer you... Peer review? Peer reviewed, thank you. Using studies that are not peer reviewed, which is a huge part of the scientific community, by the way, that's... It's like the part of the scientific community. It is yeah. the scientific community. And so all these different things are being thrown in there that ha have nothing to do with the argument. And then to make matters worse, he actually starts accosting another member of the board, asking uh, a female member of the board if she mutilated her child's genitals when she gave birth to her son. If there was ever any part of this that was skewed towards, okay, is this person just trying to be funny, or are they seriously off their rocker? That's the part where it becomes painfully clear that this guy is not making jokes. He is dead set on, on pushing his agenda all across this wiki. We, we've mentioned before in discussions how it is not prudent to try to diagnose somebody with any kind of a mental illness or a problem that none of us are going to do here. It is interesting to see a person's behavior radically change like this and wonder what happened that would cause that 
cause that kind of a break from reality to occur. But the meltdown is something spectacular to watch because it just does not stop. Even when people are trying to, like, beg him to stop and close out this conversation, stop talking about this, you're just making yourself look even worse, and they're not stopping. No, absolutely. And there's there's a thread from December 15th, 16th, 2015. And you can see he's deleted so many comments, and he, he was the one that shut it down and everything. He doesn't just stop at this conspiracy theory. He he tackles the, the greatest hits of conspiracy theorists. At one point, somebody even asked him, you know, I just would love to hear your take on 9-11. He says, well, I, I, I don't know much about it, but I don't doubt there's a possibility of an inside job. It's It's like he just clicked all of the above on conspiracy theories, it seems. And that's what makes me lean more towards the the troll angle is the fact that he's just getting off, it seems, and almost responding to these people and all that. But again, even if he is a troll or he had a legitimate break or he legitimately believes this stuff, you do have to wonder what was the catalyst that took him from a member of this community one day to somebody who may be mentally ill, somebody who's a troll, somebody who's just out of it. What was that catalyst? That's the biggest question. And he also makes a comparison between male and f- male circumcision and female genital mutilation without realizing the fact that female genital mutilation is an active attempt at destroying women's sense of sexual pleasure targeted against their femininity. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the reason why it's done. It, it is an act of subjugation. Male circumcision, regardless of whether you feel it's a, a form of mutilation or not, or whether it's something that should be done because, uh, you know, a child doesn't have any say in what's going on, is that right, whatever. But it is not done as an act of subjugation. Part of it is uh, religious, part of it is sanitation concerns, uh, but none of it was done out of... Uh, an act of subjugation, like it's done to females. So there's that major gap in his logic that he's not recognizing, or if he even is recognizing it, he doesn't want to acknowledge it. And by the way, this is not a debate over whether or not male circumcision is a form of genital mutilation. That's a different discussion for a completely different topic. But there is, regardless of what you feel about it, there is a distinction between why this is done to females and why males are circumcised. Well, give me a second to put away all my uh, notes on circumcision since this isn't a debate. <laughs> but I need to. <laughs> Going back to what you were saying, though, about you know his flaws and his logic and his refusal to accept it is all over the place in the thread from December fifteenth, sixteenth, which is the big one. He's he's calling America sheeple. He's attacking religion. He's doing all of that. So he has seen the peer-reviewed studies that you're talking about, and. He is literally telling people he does not care because they're there. And this is this is common among conspiracy theorists. And I mean, we could do an entire episode on just conspiracy theories alone and uh, the theorists that perpetuate them. But he is taking everything that serves as a counterpoint to what he is saying and telling everyone, oh, it's flawed. It's wrong. It's. And you see this from anti-vaxxers, you see this from truthers, you see this from Sandy Hook deniers. Anything that that is against what they say is wrong because it was produced as propaganda. People saying the Earth is flat. Well, it's not flat. You can go around it. No, you're just going in circles around the map. Okay, well, we have pictures. Oh, the pictures are fake. Yeah, Mm -hmm. okay. Well, obviously there's no arguing with you at that point in time. Okay, so I'm going to read a little bit more of what Alex Shepard said because... There's so much wrong with it. For a moderator of a silent, uh, silent Hill wiki, it, he does not seem to know 
anything about Silent Hill. <laughs> welcome back to welcome back to Ross's Storytime Corner, where we're going to continue to talk about male circumcision. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Man. Continue, Ross. You are so deluded. Silent Hill is all about exposing the atrocities of America. No, it isn't. That's the entire purpose of it. <laughs> it is a fact and truth that circumcision damages the male psyche and is a part of brainwashing dark ritual. No, it isn't, and no, it isn't. And no, I won't remove it. For circumcision should be banned in all the American government or Illuminati at this rate. They literally say that. Yep. <laughs> should actually acknowledge it because it is an injustice to Americans. It also helps give backstory and understanding of male genital mutilation in America. People need to wake the fuck up and realize what's happening in humanity. December 13th. Wow, that's a trip. Um, I don't know where to start. Illuminati, <laughs> I saw that in there. We've got Silent Hill is all about exposing the atrocities of America. It's a Japanese IP. It's a Japanese IP that specifically used America because they found the setting to be enjoyable and that it would cater more to an American audience. But there was <laughs> very seldom do the Japanese try to comment on American social situations. Exactly. It's just a completely different set of circumstances than what they're used to. It's not commentary in the least. It's just that they use the setting because A, they thought it was interesting, and B, they thought it would be more profitable for the international market. Uh, because for for those who are familiar with game design, oftentimes if something is too Japanese, the Japanese will not well they'll be less likely to localize it for an American audience because they feel okay, other countries aren't going to get this because it's too Japanese, it's too embedded with our culture, so we can't really market it that way. We were seeing this actually in reverse with the way American films are being made for Chinese audiences now, where they try to incorporate Chinese references, not because we're trying to make social commentary on China, but because we're just trying to sell a fucking product. Exactly. And we've got Void Burger. I don't know who this is. Probably another mod or just another user on the Silent Hill wiki. He's tweeting about... Uh, he was tweeting about this, like, as it was happening. And he, he was going all out. Apparently... Whoa. Oh, jeez. Don't do that. <laughs> that was kind of like a very Cosgrove from Freakazoid thing. Hey, cut that out. <laughs> yeah, she's doing her own thing. Anyways, Alex Shepard's main argument, or one of his main arguments is that Walter, uh, Walter Sullivan is a possible circumcision victim. You would think that it would get used to saying that by now. I, I haven't played Silent Hill 4, so... I don't know who Walter Sullivan is, but uh, I, I don't know. I think his theory would have been a bit more accepted if there was actual evidence to prove this. Yeah, th there is no evidence uh, of any of that. W Walter being the, the villain of the game, and I guess he's trying to ascribe this into uh, Walter's abusive past, and that's why he turned out the way that he did. I can tell you this right now, and I think, I'm hoping Jedi agrees with me on this as a content creator or a writer. I have never once contemplated to myself whether or not my male characters are circumcised or not. I, yeah, it's it's not exactly at the forefront. You you maybe wonder about their eyes or their hair. This This may be surprising for all of you out there to hear. It's really not something 
that we think of. And now watch anybody who gets a hold of our, our content or our writing is going to start generating headcanons now just to spite us. Yes. <laughs> Speak for yourselves, guys. The first thing when I, yeah, when I write a character is if they're circumcised or not, that's a must. You, you, you build characters from the dick up. <laughs> exactly, yeah. That's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting model of character building. Remind me never to play Dungeons & Dragons with you. Yeah, I go all out. An hour into the explanation. Uh, well, what's his race? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Just know he's circumcised. Stop, stop questioning me, you Illuminati scum. Ah. A- apparently, circumcision can cause permanent brain damage, permanent psychological damage, death, decreased sexual pre- pleasure, and mental illness. I didn't... It, this is according to the dude. I... Okay, I'm done reading all of this. I, <laughs> it's it's too much. No, this concludes our segment, Ross Report. <laughs> yes, thank you, Ross, for that intriguing report on circumcision. For news and weather, let's go turn it over to Scotty McNeil. Scotty, yes, it's a great day for the weather. It's raining like fucking crazy. Anyway, moving on from there, uh, it, it's just a very interesting read to see this happen. And again, I don't... Nobody should target Alex Shepard over this. Uh, I think he's still active on forums. By by no means should anybody be accosted, especially if this was some sort of a a momentary breakdown. I can't put myself into the situation of somebody who goes off the rails like this. And, and nobody can, because we all deal with psychological issues in our own ways. Just like if, if we lose a loved one, people go through stages of grief in, in very different ways. It can cause them to do very odd things. I don't know what happened here but obviously something caused him to go on a tirade and start spewing out all these different things and it's important if we ever do an episode about conspiracy theories you should always look at things from a level-headed perspective and i i give people on the wiki credit for this where they were playing with kid gloves on that thread at first they were like trying to you know let him run it run his opinions and say well maybe we should just put it into a theory section uh, and he's like, no, it doesn't belong in the theory section. This is, it needs to be in the main article. It should be the header of the article. It's like, okay, well, um, maybe it's a possible explanation and should be put into maybe a trivia section. Like, they're, they're trying to give him as much leeway as they can. And I gotta say, they are, they approach that from a much better perspective than I would have to where I would have said, no, there's no evidence of this at all, and now you're getting into conspiracy wingnut territory. You need to shut the fuck up. But that's just that's just me. Yeah, I've I've been a moderator on on several communities. I honestly, while we've prided ourselves on giving benefit of the doubt to people, you know, they may come to us with saying X, Y, or Z about their real life, and we may be skeptical, but you know, we let them talk. We let them do their thing. They may say something crazy. They may have something that is just not a you know, they, they may be having a bad day and take it out on the wrong person. We give them benefit of the doubt in those situations. But if somebody is consistently inflammatory, derailing, offensive, or this, we don't let it go on this long at all, ever. Yeah, I think the only reason it was uh, was going on as far as it was was because, because he's another moderator. It's like, you know, the captain went crazy and still has control of the ship. And nobody can really wrestle the controls away from him. I could see that. It would be like if you invited Ross and I back next time and one of us just started all of a sudden talking about how, you know, Sasquatch killed John F. Kennedy. You wouldn't immediately cut off our mic. You'd be like, uh, want to explain a little more, buddy? <laughs> 
You wanna wanna talk a bit about how you're feeling, Ross? You're giving me ideas. I was gonna say, I love how you automatically go to Ross being the one that thinks <laughs> yeah. Sasquatch killed Kennedy. Okay, well let's be fair. The three of us, which one would you say is the one who was gonna do that? Fair yeah. enough. <laughs> Just kidding, I'd love you, Ross. Love you too. Uh we'll wrap things up with Ross's final thoughts on circumcision. Ross Tell us about the Silent Hill Wiki Circumcision, your final thoughts. Very interesting. It's a must-read. Here's a, here's a quick challenge for you. Go to the link in dis- the description. It'll link you to the screenshots and everything that happened. Uh, try reading Alex Shepard's responses and such without giving him Alex Jones's voice. It's difficult. Oh, oh, I never even thought about that. That's going to be fun. Yeah, it's it's pretty hard. Not going to lie. I, w- I was contemplating doing a mock Alex Jones impersonation, <laughs> but it- it's definitely worth checking out just for the craziness. And don't get me wrong, I wish the best for this guy, and I hope he's all right mentally. It could have just been some sort of break, but yeah, I-, I feel for him. Everybody has their moments where they rant about circumcisions in Silent Hill. I- it happens. <laughs> Every time somebody's point in their life, they're going to randomly go off about Silent Hill circumcision. It happens. There's only three certainties in life. Death, taxes, and Silent Hill circumcision rants. We should just uh, retitle this podcast to Silent Hill circumcision support group. Definitely needs to be a support group. I don't know if that would increase or decrease the views on this video, but it would certainly make for an interesting <laughs> interesting find on the YouTube algorithm. Personally, I don't know why we're still talking. Everybody clicked away when we started. Hey, we're going to talk about Silent Hill and circumcision. Well, that or there's going to be some people who are like, totally, this is exactly what I was looking for all my life. Where has this don't, been? Don't kink shame me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing says sexy like rusty monsters and circumcision. You're telling me. Oh boy. Jenna, any closing thoughts? I just want to call my mom. <laughs> tell her I love her. That's that's it. <laughs> After diving into this one. I know Ross earlier said it's 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 a must read. I, I would say don't. <laughs> it's uh, educational. Two different reviews on Amazon.com for this book. But anyway, that that's gonna take care of the final topic for the day. So we want to hear all your thoughts on the topics that were discussed. You can leave them here on the channel, or you can tweet to criticalandroid, or email me at thecriticalandroid@gmail.com. And if you haven't checked out, I'm assuming you've seen the Nexpo channel if you're here, but please go visit Nexpo and be a part of that community as well, because that's one of the reasons why we're here, is we're helping to provide more content, more in-depth looks at things that you're not going to find elsewhere. So, Mr. Ross, thank you for being here. Thank you. Oh, Ross, you got much louder there. Did I? Uh, yeah, sorry. I just switched microphones somewhat. Where the fuck was that mic the entire time, dude? Yeah, we have to do this all over now. This is like the mic that I use for, like, I never use this mic. This was just in case the mic that I just bought died. You sound like Terry goddamn gross compared to the other one. Fuck you, Ross. Fuck you and the mic you came in on. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep this in mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep the tin cans and string in the other room next time. <laughs> um. and, oh, Lord. Uh, <laughs> Jedi? <laughs> Sorry, I just pictured Ross in a cabinet with, like, tin cans and string. <laughs> He's in a Unabomber shack with Alex Shepard. 
<laughs> Alex, Alex, they're talking about you again. Puts the can up to his ear. Pass me another jar of piss. I'm thirsty. <laughs> this has to go in. I'm broken now. Oh, Jedi, thank you for being here. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. <laughs> Better to end with laughter than with circumcisions, right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> so, for all of us here at the... <laughs> at the Fan Expo Podcast. Thank you all for listening, as we wish you all well. <laughs>